Hey, kitty gang. I'm Kiel Lowry. And I'm Lindsay Chrisley. Come join us for Coffee Combos every Thursday. It's spirited discussion about motherhood, friendship, family, and life in the public eye. We share our real life experiences, trying to balance it all, and the issues that we face daily. We don't always agree with how we each handle it. And we definitely rant about the frustrations. But we always have a great combo and hopefully learn something by the end of it. So listen to and follow Coffee Combos now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Symbiotica is a health supplement company designed with sophisticated formulations that have science and clinical studies to increase vitality and longevity. Symbiotica's liposomal magnesium L-threonine was developed by a team of scientists at MIT and has begun to show that increased magnesium levels in the brain more than any other form of magnesium. And, of course, people, about 65% of people of adults are magnesium deficiency in this country. Symbiotica's Super Greens is a convenient way to boost your daily nutrition. It contains bioavailable complex. Also, their liposomal vitamin C is a synergistic formula that plays a key role They can help improve immune function, as well as the vitamin D, K2, CQ10, as well as the vitamin D, K2, CoQ10. It's also a synergistic formula. It's a a squirt bottle that I use on a daily basis. It can help connective tissue, can help build bone, and again, improve immune function. This has been something people are very concerned with, obviously, during COVID. Take their online quiz to figure out the best supplement for your specific health goals, it's Symbiotica, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. And use code DREW at Symbiotica.com for 15% off site-wide or create your custom bundle and get up to 45% off. That's at Symbiotica.com, code DREW. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. Hey everybody, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. As always, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate supporting people, support the pod. And as I'm always reminding you, head over to Dr.TV for that streaming show, uh, Tuesday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific. Uh, you can, uh, from any platform, whether it's Facebook or Twitch or Twitter or Rumble or YouTube, whatever it is, we're out on all of them. And uh, maybe check me out on some of the you know social media, Dr. Pinsky on Instagram, and of course, Dr.com. We have all the pods there. Speaking of podcasts, today, Damon Davis, Who Am I Really is the podcast, adopted people sharing their stories of adoption, attempts to find their birth parents. He has interviewed nearly 200 adoptees from an array of experiences, awful situations to fund out, you know, beautiful reunions, inspiring adoptions, unfortunate reunions. Who Am I Really podcast.com is where you can find out more. Uh, his autobiography actually is Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir, where he shares journey becoming an adopted parent and his emotions about his own son. You can follow the podcast uh, at the podcast Instagram at WAI for Who Am I? WAI Really. It's at WAI Really. And his personal Instagram is at Damon, D A M O N L Davis, D A V I S. Damon, welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Drew. Good to be here with you. I, I was especially intrigued to speak to you today because I feel like <clears throat> we've entered a zone now, and this is sort of somewhat off-topic for you know adoption, but um, it bleeds into the adoption stories. But 
we've entered a world now where so many people are having genetic testing done that people are discovering that they were adopted and didn't even know it, essentially, <laughs> that their their yeah. parents, their biological parents are not their biological parents. And there's a whole range of emotions that people are experiencing around that from, oh, well, at least I got great parents, to, oh, who am I? I'm shattered by this. I can't trust anybody ever again. Uh, and lots of depressions uh, on the heels of that. And I'm guessing – it's very those kinds of stories you must be hearing in the adoption world as well. Not so much because they're discovering it through genetic testing, but there's all kinds of similar emotions that go on when people a weren't being told, weren't, hadn't been told they're adopted, and find out, or b get to the adoptive parents, and lo and behold, it's not so inspiring. <laughs> so yeah. talk to me about all of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you raised that because it is an interesting thing. This commercialization of DNA testing has opened up a whole world for people. And some of it is just simple, like someone like yourself who just wanted to know more about your own family genetics history and things like that. But there are a whole bunch of people who discover accidentally that they were adopted. And it opens, um, as you've said, a whole set of mental challenges. What those people are referred to as late discovery adoptees or LDAs. And it can be super traumatic because what it calls into question is every single thing you've ever lived with your parents, all of the stories you were told, all of the history that you, quote unquote, adopted as your own has been uprooted and it's upside down now. And one of the natural things that ends up happening is you say to yourself, quite literally, who am I really then? Wh who, where are the roots of my actual biological family tree? And uh, and it can feel like a betrayal for some adoptees who feel as though they were lied to when they learn that the community around them, all of their extended relatives, all knew that they were adopted. They were mm. the only person who was left out of this open secret. It can be incredibly challenging for folks to find out that way. But there are other ways, too. I mean, quite literally, you know, there's stories of folks who their parents died and they were going through the attic and they pick up a box and they find a birth certificate with has their birth date on it, but it's got some other kid's name. Hmm. And then suddenly they realize, wait, that that seems like that's me. And there's a lot of questions that come up. So there, in terms of late discovery adoptees, you know, some people find out by accident when the neighbor spills it, whatever. I mean, there's just an array of things that happen in the adoption in the adoption community. I have a ton of questions now. Let me ask this, and this is from your experience. Do most people who are in the late adoptee what, – what is it again? Late adoptee – Late discovery late discovery, adoptee late discovery, LDA. LDA. I'm going to write down. Late discovery adoptee. Um, in that group, do most of them report that they had a hunch that something was missing or that, a, that they had some sort of faint sense of something? You know, I, I, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, some do, some don't. Mm. So I'm going to give you – my own example, I'm not a late discovery adoptee, but I just want to show this for illustrative purposes. Um, I am a black man. I'm of medium brown complexion. My mom was light skinned. My dad was dark skinned. And we looked like we could have been in family. So had I discovered I was a late discovery, had I discovered that I was adopted, I might have been shocked because we do, in fact, look like we could have been family. On the flip side, if I had been, say, six foot four and they were five foot eight yeah. and they were both dark skinned and I was light skinned, it would be anomalous that to see us as a family and be like, how did he get so tall? So, so naturally, you know what I mean? so naturally you'd be like, what? I wonder hey, what's that? Right. All? You feel weird. But, yeah. but it goes 
it goes deeper than that too. You, I've talked to adoptees who've said, you know, I was a mathematician in a family full of jocks, or yeah. I was incredibly gregarious and out gregarious and outgoing yeah. in a family full of very intro, introverted, quiet people. And so what you end up with is some people do say, yeah, I always kind of wondered why I was so different in those ways. Mm. I just took it as we were just different. Mm -hmm. But you'll find other people who, to go back to my own possible example, may have never, ever suspected it. And I know of a couple of stories of people who are adopted that don't actually know they're adopted. And it's going to be an incredibly rude awakening when they do find this out. Uh, so it, it, it varies quite widely. Well, let's talk about the rude awakening. B betrayal makes perfect sense to me. I mean, the, who wouldn't feel betrayed in some fashion? Uh, I, I, I mean, I guess you could have no feelings, but it'd be weird. Uh, so some sense of uh, odd, it would be an odd feeling of betrayal too, because all these years everyone's been in on it and no one told me. I, you'd be angry, angry and betrayed. But I don't get, well, I do get it intellectually, but I don't get it emotionally, the, the upending of identity. Why does your identity have to be completely upended just because the people that raised you were not biologically related to you? In, in other words, your identity formed because of all those years with those people, and the biology is sort of, oh, that's why you're a little different, but thank God you had the great parents you did. Or is it, is it that's one question, I guess the other corollary is, or is it in situations where people haven't been so super happy with their upbringing that then they go, ah, my identity, uh, you know, that, that's when they get more focused on the identity issues. Uh, I'm glad you asked this, Dr. Drew, because this is one of the challenges that non-adopted people have with understanding adoption. Yeah. They wonder, what, why did you want to search? You know yeah. what? You had parents. And I yeah. often said I didn't want to search. I had parents. But when it really hit me, when it really struck me deeply that I had two parents, but I actually am biologically from two completely different people. Mm -hmm. That was a game changer for me. And it's a hard thing to deny. And I want you to just imagine for a second, Dr. Drew, if yeah. you were speaking to your parents, they sat you down one day and they said, listen, Drew, we've been meaning to tell you this for quite a while. Um, we love you very much, uh, but I want you to know that you're, your mom was not your biological mom. Mm -hmm. your, your mom, you were adopted. And just pause for a moment and think, like, what would that mean for who your other mom is? If you can just try to imagine that there's some other mother out there, it would naturally spark curiosity for you. And it also does make you question your own identity. If you start to think like, oh, that might be why I'm a brunette and you two are blondes. Or it might be why I'm, you know, this way or that way or the other. Some of the examples we've given before. So maybe, maybe this is confusing. Very to me. In, One of the reasons confusing to me is I, I had something similar but not the same happen to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it may be <laughs> – the level of lack of attachment that my and compassion that my mother actually had. So the idea of another mother would not be that <laughs> be like another one of those. Great. Uh, sure, while if sure. you had a really nurturing, connected mom, I can see where you'd wonder, Ooh, what would the attachment be like to the, the actual biological agent? But in my, I found out I always had a nagging, like, was I, a, am I been adopted? What I could tell there was a lie. I could just tell like something was up. And I, I, and of course, as a kid, you blame yourself. So you think it's you know something you did. I thought I must have been adopted or something. Something that they're not telling me. 
And uh, turned out my mother, uh, we discovered just by strictly by accident, had a completely separate life, a different marriage, different family before she ever got to my dad for 10 years. And I discovered by accident when she was like 85. And I had exactly no feelings about it. I was like, eh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. curiosity, wanted to hear how, how she abandoned a stepson after 10 years. I wanted to talk to him to sort of share that <laughs> – Maybe that feature. Um, right. But I didn't really have any feelings about it. It certainly didn't affect my identity at all. Um, but, and, and but, ma- but, but, Dr. Drew, were you born from your mother? Yes, I was. So it's not the same. Right. That's that's the point. And, and so the, the because I had this weird experience, it, it's biased me, I think, in, in terms of being able to understand what it must be like to not have a connection. It's got to be something deeply biological, Right. I mean, something profound, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you. There, so I'm in reunion with both of my biological parents separately. Yeah. And in finding them, I have sat face-to-face with both of them. And to see my face, my features on another person that I've never known my entire life is absolutely astonishing. I've found t- talk personality about it. T- t- traits. T- talk about it some more. Because we're, we're talking about it on the sort of intellectual level. Like, yeah, you, you see all these things. Isn't biology extraordinary? You know what I mean? Isn't that something? Yeah. It's sort of intellectual. But t- try to get me on a deeper bio, uh, emotional, biological level. Like, what was what, what stirred in you? What is that like? What is it? So let me tell you, my, let me tell yeah. you a bit of my, my own story. And yeah. maybe this will help. Yeah. You have kids and yeah. you may be able to relate to this. So... When I was growing up, I was never interested in finding my biological parents at all. Mm. And, and let's, talk, let's, just talk, let's start with that. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why, why? Just because. I, I always said, you know what? Like I told you before. You felt loved. I'm you medium loved. brown. Yeah. I look like I'm, I'm from my parents. They loved me deeply. Yeah. I had an amazing relationship. Yeah. And I'm, I'm one. I'm but one adoption story there are so many thousands of course, out there of course but, but, but i, I think really you, comfortable i think being loved is the is the number one ingredient that if you really truly feel attached and loved you're just moving on you're just you're just going forward and uh yeah that yeah. can be true yeah but still i grew up with the knowledge that i was adopted and i still had pangs of under trying to understand like where's this other person that's out there i mean it really does. You have to try very hard to conceptualize the idea that you are not from the woman you came and, from. And, so and back is, to are my those story. pangs sense of loss, rupture, grief? It's How do you characterize it, it? It's not for some people. It's pure curiosity. So curiosity. let me tell you what happened yeah. with me. Okay. My wife got pregnant, and you know we had our trials and tribulations trying to get pregnant in the first place. And when my son was conceived, I happened to be home. I was laid off from work and I was, I was actually thankful for it because I got to be home with my son for the first time. His name's Seth. And Seth is laying before me. I'm sitting on the couch. He's on sort of the ottoman that is adjacent. And he's laying there kicking and sort of wailing, flailing his hands about. And I'm looking at this little dude and I just started to cry. I was like, this is the first biological relative I've ever known in my entire life. And I'm 36 years old. Mm. So if you can try to imagine for a moment when your child was born, your first, mm-hmm. think about if that person had been the first biological biological relative you had ever, ever known. That's a pretty momentous thing to think about. You know what's interesting? It's a family tree yeah. that you have only just discovered one leaf and one branch on. Yeah. And there's an entire tree trunk with other branches out there that you have no idea where it is. And that's a real, that's a deep thing to think yeah. about as you walk around this planet. 
trying to, you know, make connections with other people, you may have felt very deeply connected to the family history that you were told, that was shared with you, that you've lived. But if you actually discover that you're attached to a different family history, it's very challenging not to think, man, I'd, I'd love to go see who those people are and, and figure out whether I look like them, sound like them. And do we have mannerisms, stuff like that. And, and is it also uh, a curiosity about the history to which you've left behind? Is that, is that part of it? Because it's it's so it's so hard to talk about because it is such yeah. a it's such a it, it's such a profoundly axiomatic experience for most people to be part of their biological gene pool that it's right. almost impossible for people that are have not had that rupture to imagine it right that's why, that's I'm, why I'm saying that, this to you exactly and, well it's why I'm walking down this path I want to really because you have a lot of experience with this and I really want to parse it out uh, for people that are because we, we, we get very dismissive very easily you know it's very easy if we don't understand to go eh, just deal with it if you're curious all right it's gonna be disappointing but whatever but but there's something on a far deeper level going on here and for those of it that for those of us that have not had that experience it's it's almost it, I, I wonder if we have trouble imagining it. it's that it's on that kind of depth that the average person literally can't imagine it because it, it's we're not we're not connected to that experience, and it's you know literally from birth that that experience is not something we can speak to. So yeah. so talk to me before you talk about your own experience further. The range of experiences when people do get their their biological parents involved again, and and what the reactions are. Because I I'm imagining a lot of the time it's sort of I don't know disappointing or, or somehow doesn't doesn't go well. Let's just say it's you know what. Everything in life is on a bell curve. Yeah. There are awesomeness at the far end of one, and there's awfulness at the far end of the other. And so to go to this reunion piece, you get a, a very strict bell curve. There are people who, like myself, who have had amazing reunions. Um, I've you know, found my birth mother. She was working only two blocks away from me here in Washington, wow. D.C. Wow. And I surprised her at her office on her birthday for Oof. our reunion. And oh we had my. a wonderful relationship for six years. But I've had people on the show who have said, I found my birth mother. I sent her a letter and she sent me a terse letter back that said, please don't contact me ever again. Yeah. And I've had people say, I reached out to my birth mother, mother and she strung me along for years saying, I'd love to meet you. We should connect. I want to know you. And they never connected because the birth mother wasn't able to bring herself to go through with reconnecting with this child right. she placed for adoption. Right. Very painful. And then there's all kind of things in between. There are birth mothers who have you know, gone on to have families. They've got other kids and they're scared about telling their other children that they had a child prior to the family that they know now. Yep. Um, there's all kinds of challenges in reunion with birth fathers. Some birth fathers didn't even know that they had had a child. And mm -hmm. so this child comes out of the blue and they've gone on with their lives from, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And this person comes back and some people are very welcoming and others are just like, I literally had no idea you existed and I don't care. Yeah. And it can be awful for people, right? So just that gut reaction that you had right there is how people feel even worse yeah. when they're what's called secondary rejected, when you've been placed for adoption and then you come back and you try to find your bi biological family and they turn you away. That's referred to as a secondary rejection. And it's awful for people because, listen, I came from your body. 
how could you turn me away? You know what I mean? Not even want to know me. It's really tough on folks. How do these biological fathers that didn't know it? What's what? What are some stories there? Uh, it can be classic things. You yeah. know, <laughs> I'll give you mine. So, my biological fa- mother was in graduate school, and uh, she started seeing a guy who was a cop in Detroit, and he was very unkind to her, and she broke up with him. Uh, what I've learned since is that she went on to date another guy not too long thereafter. And she lived her whole life after she got pregnant in that time period, she had gotten pregnant and she told the cop, listen, you know, I'm pregnant. And he said he would help her and he never did. So she fled Detroit, went to Baltimore, met her girlfriend who was a social worker, got me placed for adoption and they tried to move on with their lives. And so my brother, my birth mother, Anne, always thought it was the police officer. Well, after she died, I did an ancestry DNA test because we were trying to learn some more about our family. Just pure curiosity. Coincidentally, my mother-in-law is adopted. So we were trying to find out about her and therefore my wife and therefore my son. And doing ancestry DNA, I'm online one night and I see this, you know, these hits for biological relatives that are super close to me. One of them is my son and the other one is just as close. And it's a guy that I don't know. And it's not the initials mm. of the man that my birth mother, Anne had given me. Mm-hmm. So to cut a long story short, I reached out and connected with this guy and he was my birth father. And Anne had no idea that he was the guy. And she went to her grave thinking it was somebody else. So there's a prime example of a birth father who had no idea that he had a son out there. Wow. And it goes on and on. There are women who get pregnant. They know it's the guy but they choose not to tell him because of whatever their relationship is. And they just proceed with the pregnancy or they are shepherded away. I don't know if you've ever heard of the girls who went away as a book by a woman named Ann Fessler. And basically it tells the stories of these birth mothers whose, you know, pressure from society, pressure from doctors, pressure from their parents forced them to Proceed with the pregnancy, but go do it over there in secret. Yeah. If you're here in Maryland, go go down to South Carolina. Home and have for wayward girls. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that would happen. Sheesh. So there's all of these mysteries and and um and challenges in adoption that are are fascinating to sort of uncover. And that's the kind of stories that I hear on my show all the time. Gosh, it's just it's just so interesting. You know these the different variations on the theme now that are available because of genetic testing as much as anything. I mean, even your story is sort of a, a prime example of that, right? I mean, you would never you would have thought it was the cop to this day. You, you Absolutely, might, maybe you'd even try to reach out to him. You know, you'd be, did you know him? I did. Oh my goodness, I did. I reached out to him. He, uh, I sent him a letter. We got on the phone. I talked to him for the first time, and I was like, Ugh, I don't really like this guy. I mean, you know, what it's was like that you like? said, you can reach that, out. Yeah, what was that like? You had two. You had two father experiences. You had, you know, know. yeah, it was really bizarre. Wow. And and so I, in essence, basically, in speaking with this guy, um, I compared it to speaking with Anne for the first time. And Anne and I had an instant rapport. Mm. She was welcoming. She was excited. Her heart was full. She came back to life. Her sister said, and it was really awesome to be part of that and to, you know, be a gift back to her that returned after I had lived my life where she had placed me. Yeah. But to talk to this guy, I was just like, I don't really like this dude at all. (laughs) And I let the relationship go for quite a while. But, you know, after she died, I said, listen, 
takes two to tango and I didn't just come from her. Maybe I should just go be face to face with this dude one time, suck it up and then leave and never have to worry about it anymore. And before we even got to do that, he said, listen, he wrote me a letter and he said, Mr. Davis, I'm not the guy. I'm not your birth father. He signed off from our relationship. So I got that secondary rejection that we talked about before. Oh my God. You've had had every experience. You've had them all. I know. (laughs) That's right. Wow. Pardon me. And I'm also an adoptive parent. So I've been through the process of adopting children as well. I did what's called a kinship adoption. I've adopted my niece and nephew on my wife's side of the family to just to refer to the, the entirety of my experience. But to proceed, it was after that guy signed off from our relationship that the ancestry DNA results came back and I found my biological father, Bill. So it's been a whirlwind. It's been a whirlwind and, and adoptees are living these adventures every day. And it's this time of online information is allowing us to find each other in unique ways like we never could before. And, you know, I'm in Facebook groups and on the subreddit for adoption and stuff. And people are asking all kinds of questions about reunion and how they can go about it and what it feels like. And just every experience you can possibly imagine. It's really it's really fascinating to to be a part of. Forget thread count. Bowl and Branch gives you thread quality. It doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have if they aren't the best threads possible. We love Bull and Branch. We sleep on Bull and Branch every night. Bull and Branch uses the highest quality threads. Sheets made luxurious. They're beloved by three U.S. presidents and my family. They feel buttery. Over 10,000 stellar reviews out there. You will feel the difference of their iconic signature sheets. They're 100% free from toxins, uh, no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. Bull and Branch sheets fit the deepest of mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags, so making your bed is easier than ever. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code Dr. Drew at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H, bowlandbranch.com, promo code Dr. Drew. That's bowlandbranch.com, promo code Dr. Drew. Time ClearUp is a revolutionary compact handheld device that provides a safe, drug-free way to clear congestion and relieve sinus pain. That's right. How does ClearUp work? Well, it treats, it works as well as medication, for one thing. And the science is the TIVIC, the TIVIC cleanup, uses a proprietary waveform of microelectric current and specific frequencies to target inflammation at the nerve, which results in shrinking of swollen tissues in the sinus cavity. For a lot of users, ClearUp works when nothing else does, but it also can be used as part of a regimen you already have. Use it with your current allergy and pain medication or as a replacement without the worry of medication interactions or side effects. Be sure to talk to your physician about this. ClearUp provides a non-chemical, non-addicting, non-drowsy solution to target pain and congestion at the source. You know, not just the symptom cleanup like the traditional products. Five minutes to experience quick relief, congestion, and sinus pain for up to five hours. One of the significant benefits, a clear up can be used as often as needed at work, in the middle of the night, or while traveling. Relieve your pain and congestion has never been easier. It's designed with convenience in mind, can be used on the go anytime, anywhere. Use clear up in the car while watching TV before a workout or a hike. No more messy sinus sprays, flushes, or worries, or no side effects, uh, and no ruining your day. 
Give Clear Up a try with a 60-day risk-free trial. Go to Tivic Health, T-I-V-I-C Health.com and use promo code DREW22 to receive $20 off plus free shipping on your Clear Up. Again, that's Tivic Health, T-I-V-I-C Health.com, promo code DREW22 to receive $20 off plus free shipping on your Clear Up device. You heard me talk about ZocDoc. With them, you can find the right doctor for you in your network and in your neighborhood, one that makes you feel like you are in good hands. It's easy. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed and take your insurance and are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist. And ZocDoc's mobile app is easy as ordering a ride or food from getting delivery from a restaurant. Find and review local doctors. Read verified patient reviews from real customers, real patients who had had appointments already. And now you can see what they experienced. Go to ZocDoc.com. Find the doctor that is right for you. Book an appointment in person or remotely if that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. And I suggest you let it be your go-to. So head over to ZocDoc.com slash Drew and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for the top-rated physician today. Many are available within 24 hours. That is ZocDoc.com slash Drew, ZocDoc.com slash Drew. I think the adoptive community, and particularly your your podcast, could help the population of people that I'm seeing increasingly frequently, and it's a growing population of people who are the products of secrets and drug addiction and all kinds of things like that, um, where they just weren't told who the, who the other parent was, or the, or he, mm-hmm. you know they just were just they weren't adopted so much as they were either told a lie or they were told nothing or, you know, their mom was raped or something. And I mean, at least that's the story that's being told. And then they find out it's something totally different. That group, I'm seeing two things that you haven't really mentioned so much um, in the adopted community. I'm seeing the men come back in. Uh, and when they come back in, sometimes they're like, like you said, you didn't like the, the cop. I, I'm seeing a lot of men come back in that are, manipulative like like oh sure i'll be your i'll be i'm your dad yeah 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 can you make my car Mm -hmm. payment this month i I really am struggling here this that kind of stuff a lot of that and and then because of that maybe not because of that maybe it's just part of the primary process the child who had been lied to or misled a lot of deep depression a lot of depression and you know a lot of wild emotions flying around is that all something that uh, fits that, that the adoptive community? Is that something you see in the adoptive side? A and B. Is that something you feel like you guys could have help uh, could help that population? Yeah. So there are definitely parents, birth parents, who connect with their adoptee, the child who was relinquished, and they come back in a way that is either overly parental, like they're literally trying to parent the child. And it's like, listen, I'm 36, 45, you know, yeah. 51 years old. You, wow. I don't need a parent. Interesting. I just want to know you and let's proceed from here. Yeah. Um, and then there's folks who come about it from those callous ways that you just mentioned. It's some of the, you know, overbearing, inappropriate expectations of what the relationship is going to be, uh, setting up those expectations without actually feeling out like, do we even like each other and are we going to get along, let alone, do I need you to pay my car payment this month? You know, it's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. 
And sorry, what was the second part of your question? The emotions that those folks I'm seeing, uh, they're all they're violent. <laughs> Their emotions are really rough. They often have a lot of depression. Yeah. A lot of depression. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Dr. Drew, anytime there's family drama, it's rough. Yeah. And that's inclusive of biological families that have been together their whole lives. Yeah. Now, when you add in the layer of, I haven't known you for two, three, four, five decades, mm-hmm. and we're coming together, it can hit people in ways that they didn't expect to be, feel the trauma, to yeah. feel rejection, to feel the weirdness, to feel the discomfort, to feel like, uh, I'm at this family reunion, but I feel like an outsider mm. because these people have all had a shared experience. And now I'm suddenly appearing after two, three, four decades. So it's it's incredibly complex to try to be a part of, reinsert yourself into, be accepted by biological families. And, and it's challenging for the parents. It's challenging for siblings as well. You know, these folks have given birth to adoptees and, and they've gone on and lived like full lives yeah. with literally a full family. Some yeah. parents have stayed together and adoptees find that they have biological siblings hmm. and it can be tough in those situations too, because what you find is the child who used to be the eldest in the family finds out that they had another sibling who was born before them placed for adoption. And now they're no longer the eldest. Their identity as the eldest is gone hmm. and is usurped by this other individual who has come out of nowhere sometimes that they didn't even know existed. So these are some of the challenges that you also hear in, in listening to these adoption stories. Speaking of the adoption stories, any, any standout stories that you can share with us, things that were sort of shocking or surprising or stayed with you? Uh, maybe even, you know, I'm searching for sort of outlying stories that maybe prove the rules or inspire or something. I, I think what jumps yeah. out for you? What, what are the things that stay with you after you've heard them? Absolutely. You know, there's there's a couple of them. I'm going to refer to one. The woman's name was Tezita. It was episode 119. And Tezita was from Ethiopia. And she told me the story of being born in her Ethiopian village, growing up with her family, and then suddenly being placed in an orphanage. Hmm. And in that orphanage, she was constantly thinking to herself, when is my family going to come and get me? She could see outside the walls of the orphanage. She could see people who looked like her and wondered which one of them was going to be her family who would come back and get her, and they never came. Mm. And so she ended up If you don't mind, I want to drill a little bit on this. Did, did she talk sure. about that that conversion, that giving up? You know, Because there's a lot of psychological literature out there about kids in these situations and how they, they – go flat. They get numb as a way of dealing with it. Yeah, she did go into some of her emotions. And, you know, this is I'm giving you like the 90 second version of an hour long interview Mm. I did with Tezita. Uh, But what she did say was, you know, she was she was really, really she wanted to go back home. Mm. She wanted to see her family. She wanted to see brothers and sisters and things like that. And she never did. She ended up being adopted into the United States by a white family in California. And she told this harrowing story of, you know, I lived in this Ethiopian village and now suddenly I am being placed on a plane. I've never been on a plane before. I'm suddenly seeing white people for the first time, never seen white faces before in her Ethiopian village. And now these people are quote unquote, my parents. And she said it was an incredibly jarring experience. She didn't know know the language. She uh, was forced to learn, you know, 
school lessons, math, English, what have you, uh, without any kind of tutelage. And quite frankly, her parents were awful. They abused her, locked her in the bathroom, all kinds of terrible, terrible, terrible things. Even sent her back to Ethiopia when they wanted to try to reverse the whole adoption situation. Where 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 was she, she was adopted? Fortunate. Where was she adopted to? Uh, she was adopted from Ethiopia and transplanted to Northern California. Wow! And so uh, one of her adopted siblings, a non biological sibling, but someone else who was also in the home with those awful parents, uh, missed her and wanted to find her and went to Ethiopia through United States sources and got her back. So the parents had shipped her back, said, we don't want her anymore. She's too much trouble. And this sister went and found her in Ethiopia and brought her back to the United States and says it ties building her life back on, you know, on her own. Uh, But it's a, it's an incredible story of what's called a, it's an international adoption and it's a transracial adoption Hmm. that someone of one race has adopted a child of another race or ethnicity. And, you know, there's other stories that are, are remarkable. I mean, well, let's stay with her real quick. There's, did, uh, I'm, what, I'm still curious about yeah. Tessie Tom, but did she get psychological services? I mean, how did she get through all this? And what happened when no, she was in Ethiopia? Not, I think she's getting them now, but she didn't during this whole time. Keep in mind, she was being abused. These people just, you know, I would imag- imagine that she was, the family was collecting resources associated with her adoption somehow. I can't imagine why you would go through the trouble of adopting a child internationally uh, only to abuse the child. I, I, I have seen it. I have actually seen mm-hmm. it. And the, the way it happens when it's not such a nefarious uh, motivation is the other end where they idealize their ability to parent this poor child. We're going to make it so. That's right. And this kid is is not well because of all the trauma. The kid is doing terrible things behaviorally. They blame the child, send the child back. That that's that's, right. that's what I see, and that's reprehensible. That's as reprehensible as the the other as what you said. Because look, you you signed up for this. Let, let's get the care for this kid and get right. him or her through this. What happened in Ethiopia right. while she was there? Uh, she was placed back into an orphanage and, you know, the family in Northern California gave her zero resources, sent no money, sent wow. no clothes, sent no nothing. Jeez. So she basically survived out of the kindness for the other children in the orphanage Ugh. who supported her. It was an absolutely crazy story. How old is she now? But that's one of, you know, 175 stories that I could tell you about various adoptions in their in their odd circumstances, you know. How old is she now? Uh, I want to say she's in her mid twenties, maybe early thirties. How did she seem? I want to say she's early in mid twenties, if I recall. How did she seem? She her episode is called "Forged by Fire," mm. and I called it that. She said something that referred to how she's building herself up. Wow! And she's doing better now. You know, she's out in the community. She is uh, physically disabled. And so she's also managing sort of what is a lack of foundational education in her life to get caught up, to live on her own. She, you know, still sees her sister who rescued her and they definitely consider themselves sisters, regardless of the fact that they're not biological to each other. It's just it's one of many, 
many fascinating stories. I could tell you another one if you're interested. Yes, but, but I want to finish this one real quick. Uh, sure. I do want another one, but uh, you 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 nodded enthusiastically about the idealizing adoptive parents. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what what chord did I strike with that? Tell me what you were thinking. One of the challenges that is part of adoption is there's let's be frank, a marketplace. Mm-hmm. And we can, I'd like to get into this a little bit too, because it's important for the current political discourse, as it, especially as it applies to the Supreme Court. But what you struck for me was this idea that there's this coercion and idealization of who these possible parents could be. Mm. There's this, you're only 15, you can't care for a child. Why don't we have this, these parents over here that are, he's a doctor and she's a, you know, an airline stewardess and they're wonderful family, um, you know, from wherever, and they're going to love your child so much. And there's this psychology that is, you know, forced on some of these women. And I would imagine that this marketplace and psychology was likely applied in Ethiopia. And it's been, I've heard of it in some other countries too, Latin countries where women are, convinced that their baby will live a better life in the United States if the woman places the child for adoption. Mm. And, you know, in some cases, people do live wonderful lives, but they still wonder, like, here I am, this Latino child who has grown up in this white family here in America. Well, what are my Latin roots? If, you know, if you've said I'm from South America, I'd like to know that. Or in this case, Tezita, who was from Ethiopia, you know, she clearly didn't look like her parents and would constantly be reminded, therefore, that she was adopted. The idea. So I, I guess the whole point is the coercion, the marketplace yeah. was the thing that that struck in my mind. The, the idealizing I was talking about was that these parents need the child to be an ideal parent to let make them feel like they're an ideal parent. Like the child needs to be yes. this perfect cherub, and if the child isn't perfect or has any psychiatric problems, whatever. That's another. They, that's another great point. I'm glad you said that. There's they, there's this challenge of what's referred to as saviorism, yeah, right? Yeah. That I see that child over there, and and I want to rescue that yep. child from those circumstances. Yep. yep. But that rescue puts it on the parents. As I am such a great person for doing this thing for yep. that child who was in trouble. That's right. And it doesn't acknowledge the fact that you have now transplanted a child from the mother that it knew to a completely different family. And that is incredible trauma for any child. Yep. It doesn't matter. You can't convince me otherwise. Yep. I've never heard out of 175 adoption stories that I've done. I've never heard a single <laughs> adoptee say. My adoption started from an awesome place. Yeah. My birth mother told me yeah. everything was going awesome in her life yeah. and she just decided right. that she was going to place me for adoption. Right. Adoption always starts from somewhere challenging and therein lies part of what we need to be focused on is what is absolutely best for the child. Yeah. If we can apply resources that will allow the child to stay in a kinship adoption, go live with auntie, uncle, grandma, whoever. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to find another family for the child, in many cases, it could be much more beneficial for that child to stay in the family, in the history that they are part of, as opposed to having the family wonder where that child ever went, went 
and having the child wonder how are they ever going to find the family that they came from again. Do, do you tell those stories also, those kinship adoption stories? I tell every story I can. <laughs> I am, I am, I do not discriminate on anybody. I have told, helped, and I don't tell them, I help the person tell them. I'm there as a shepherd for that person to, to guide them through their story and share it with the adoptee community. And it's, it's everybody from, you know, black adoptees, Asian, white, you know, Hispanic and Latino to LGBTQ. It's, you know, late discovery adoptees. It's people around the world. There, there are domestic adoptees that hear these stories or share them. And there's folks I've spoken to in Canada, Australia, Europe, that have all been interested in sharing their stories because we all can relate to one another, one another's stories, but they are all vastly different. If you've heard one adoption story, you have only heard one story. Right. It's just absolutely unbelievable. You've heard me speak about the Michael Phelps Swim Spa. Combines the benefits of a pool with the therapy of a hot tub. Comes in a variety of sizes. Can complement almost any yard. Michael Phelps Swim Spas by Master Spas has a water current you can swim in. You can do aquatic exercise and train. The water buoyancy can relieve pressure on aching joints if it's an elderly person. And you can enjoy relaxation, of course. It's the same as any hot tub. And since it is heated, you can use it year-round. Michael Phelps Swim Spas are 100% made in the USA by Master Spas, the world's largest swim spa manufacturer. You're going to love your Michael Phelps Swim Spa by Master Spas. All you got to do is go to masterspas.com, put in the promo code DREW to save $1,000 on a Michael Phelps Swim Spa or $500 off a Master Spas hot tub. Don't forget the hot tubs that they make at Master Spas as well. That is at masterspas.com, masterspas.com, promo code DREW for $500 off the hot tub and $1,000 off the Michael Phelps Swim Spa. This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy and you know, we've been very overwhelmed through through COVID and whatnot, and a lot of us are feeling stressed. And that may even be manifesting physically. People aren't even aware they're so stressed that some of the physical symptoms they're having is from the stress and feeling overwhelmed and anxiety. You need to prioritize your health. And please do not cave to stigma that you should be able to do it on your own or that taking care of your mental health somehow suggests that you're burnt out or that you're weak. It's ridiculous. Life is overwhelming. A lot of us are burned out and you can do something about it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist. You don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to and you certainly don't have to worry about running into somebody in the waiting room if that's some of the stigma you're still experiencing, which is silly. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, so you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. You've heard me talk about them. I've referred family. I've referred friends. I've been very pleased with the services they provide. And again, our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. That is better, H-E-L-P.com slash D-R-E-W. Give us another one. So another one I'll go to is probably the most recent one, I think. Her name was Shannon. It's episode 176. And Shannon tells this incredible story of trying to find her biological family. And the person that she found first was her maternal grandmother. So this is her birth mother's mother. And 
she met her, she, she spoke with her on the phone and on their very first phone conversation, her grandmother said to her, you know, on the day you were placed for adoption, I gave you the biggest hug possibly could that I hoped would last you until this day when you would come back to this family. And it was just such a heartwarming thing to hear that someone had thought enough about the child they were placing for adoption to make sure that they felt love on their last day sort of in the family and that there was hope that this child would return. It was really incredible. And so she, the interesting part of her story I found was she went on to try to reunite with her biological mother, but her mother had a family and was incredibly challenged to make a deep connection with her. So her adoption was this weird open secret. The, the woman's following daughters. So if she's the oldest, the number two and number three daughters had heard by accident that their mother had had a baby before them and told them. And the daughters called the mother and said, hey, <laughs> what is the story of this daughter? And the mother yeah. said, we're not going to talk about that ever. Uh-oh. So they knew, but they didn't. It was, an, it was an open, it was this weird secret. Open secret. The, the mm-hmm. woman's, yeah, the woman's husband also knew that the woman had had a daughter. So the woman was not comfortable talking about it. And so they couldn't have an open, happy, you know, sort of joyous TV reunion. And so the woman met Shannon, met with her birth mother um, in secret one day. When the guy went out and hung out on his boat for the weekend, the mother agreed to meet her. And they met up and had, you know, a quick sort of rendezvous or whatever. And what ended up happening was um, the woman told Shannon who her biological father was. And Shannon ended up connecting with this guy. She went to his house one year on her way to vacation. She drove by his house, met him. Her own adoptive parents met this guy. And they maintained a relationship, sort of a cordial, loose relationship, not super tight, for about 30 years. Come to find out, as we started this conversation, through Ancestry DNA, she ended up finding out that her birth father was not the guy she had been in contact with for 30 years. It was a completely different person. Wow. So, you know, the stories, they just go on and on and on like that. It's, it's unreal to hear the methods that people utilize to search, the emotions they express about their desire to search, um, the way the search goes. And another thing that we haven't really hit on, Doc, is the idea that you now have to also share your search with your adoptive family, mm. right? Yeah. Your people whom you've grown up with, whom you've hopefully loved, whom hopefully they've loved you. And there is this sense of disloyalty when an adoptee goes out to look for another family. Does that still happen a lot? And That's still common? All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, it would be hard for you to imagine, but just imagine if you're one of your children told you, you know, I, I think I'm going to try to find my birth father. Well, it, 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 would, I think it's you in, would say, but didn't we do a good enough job? Like it's sort of invalidating in some weird way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can see and that. this is, this is why it's so hard for non-adoptees yeah. to understand why adopted people want to search because mm. it's not, there's, there's enough love to go around for everybody. One of my, one of my guests told me something that I'll never forget. He said, you know, someone, in his adopted family asked him, why did you want to search for your biological family? And he turned it back on them. And he said, well, 
you know, why did mom and dad have another kid? Mm. There was enough love for everybody, right? They had one kid. So why'd they have two? Why'd they have three? Mm -hmm. Because there's enough love to go around for everybody. Every person is different and they can all fit in my heart with love. So there's no reason for me not to search. I can still love you, my adoptive parents, as the parents who raised me. That is your place in my life. And nobody can ever take that away from you. But also, nobody can ever take away the fact that I am biologically connected to and related to other people. And if those people are out there, I have a curiosity to know who they are. I have to tell you that frame helps a non-adoptee kind of digest this a little bit. That, that's mm. that's a the, the frame of this is something that can never be taken away, but also can't be fulfilled. <laughs> you know, you can never take away right. your having raised me, but you also can't ever be the biological parent, and that that can't ever be fulfilled unless I find it, and that's important to me. And I see why it would be. Uh, uh, this is a fascinating topic, and and I how did you just because of your own experience? That's how you came to doing the podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. I yeah. you know I told you there's a bell curve and I'm on the far end of awesome with my story, like just acceptance across the board. Yeah. My adoptive father was accepting and everything. And so I would tell other people about this amazing reunion experience I had. And periodically I'd run into another adoptee and that person would say, wow, that's really awesome for you. I'm really happy, but that'll never happen to me. And they yeah. would say things like, you know, birth records are, are closed in my state. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, been put in touch with my biological mother, but she won't tell me who my biological father is yeah. or, you know, secondary rejection, all kinds of stuff. It's well, really now there are ways around some of that for people. Yeah. And so I realized that everybody's story is different. And I wanted to help the stories get out there because the adoption narrative is very focused on, you know, Annie and Webster and different strokes, these, yeah. you know, rags to rescue stories. Right. And they're not like that. No. It's, these are real life situations that deserve to be told. It, it must be empowering to know that though, that they can now take it into their own hands. Your grant, you know, your mother, birth mother won't tell you, I'm going to figure it out. We, we can get somebody that can get me the information. It's out there. It, it is, but it's still tough. Yeah. It's still tough. You know, there are birth mothers who are not active on Facebook, let's say. Mm. There are birth families who haven't indulged in this whole ancestry DNA thing. Right. Um, you know, there's there's adoptees out there who are doing commercial DNA testing, and they're getting fourth, fifth, sixth cousins that have no idea who your birth family could be. Mm. Um, so it's and you know that plays out, especially in communities of color, where let's say if you take a South Korean adoptee who was adopted into the United States, they could do ancestry DNA. And never get a match because all their DNA is in another country, mm, right? Yes. So there's all of these challenges. It's, it would seem like this ubiquitous amount of information that's online yeah. would make it lickety split for you to be able to find somebody. But it's still very challenging for some folks. Some folks will tell you, I found them. I'm, I'm, I'm editing an interview right now for a woman named Alyssa. She got her birth mother's name and she found her online within a few hours of wow. going home and Crazy. So some people get crazy lucky, and some people wait decades huh. for their information. It's just and it's and, and, and maybe that will get much better as time goes on, right? As this genetic testing becomes more, I, I think it's going to become part of routine medical care eventually. And so, how we deal I'm with hopeful. that information, yeah. But listen, yeah, but there are people who don't want to do ancestry DNA either. They they want to protect their own, you know, their own DNA. They don't trust it. no the I sources it. that 
managing I, I, stuff. I, I get it. I want to hit on one more quick thing before yeah. you close us out too. Sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. You tell me. So, you know, as I alluded to before, there's this discussion right now of the Supreme Court and mm. Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of misinformation about the relation of adoption to abortion. And I want to just take a moment to separate those two things because Please. I think it's incredibly important. Go ahead. I've obviously as a man, I've never given birth to a, a child, but I have been corrected on this thing. And that's why I want to bring this forward. There is there are two decisions for a woman who gets pregnant and their adoption and abortion are not two sides of the same coin. They're two different coins. The first, if I'm pregnant, am I going to have this child or not? That's one. If I decide to have the child, then will I be the parent of this child Mm -hmm. or will someone else parent the child? That's two. So you can see it's not adoption versus abortion. And if you, and if you close the door on one, you've closed the door on the other that subscribes to the marketplace mentality. There's this, discussion of if we if we if abortions are suddenly disallowed that's going to prevent the number of babies that are available for adoption mm. we are not producing people to place into a marketplace for right. adoption and we need to get away from that discussion because it it creates it commoditizes the infants the children that are out there and if you're really interested in adopting there are tons and tons of children who are not infants they are you know, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten, and they're in foster care and they need you. So if you're feeling truly altruistic about trying to adopt, um, you need to get away from that discussion that is abortion versus adoption and think truly about what it is you're trying to do for this world and the children that need you and and focus your efforts there. I think those are really three great points. One is what the decisions are involved. Two is not creating a marketplace, not commoditizing. I could not agree with that more strongly. And then three is raising awareness about where, where you really should be looking if you're feeling inclined. My friend, it's very good to talk to you. Damon Davis, uh, who am I really? The podcast Instagram at WAI. Really, really a privilege to talk to you, man. Thanks for all the work you're doing. You too, Chief. Take care. Thanks for having me, Dr. Drew. All the best. You got it. You too, sir. And we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. this month stream the funniest films for free on pluto tv watch comedy classics like anchorman the legend of ron burgundy and mean girls or drop in for a tyler perry marathon with a medea family funeral and medea's witness protection 
Pluto TV also has hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and TV shows like Get Shorty, Be Cool, Key and Peel, Comedy and Color, and more. And no contracts, no subscriptions, no fees, no joke. So download the Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device and start laughing today. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free.